0: Chapter 8 of the Bird Study Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Bird Study Book by T. Gilbert Pearson. Chapter 8 The Traffic in Feathers. The traffic in the feathers of American birds for the millinery trade began to develop strongly about eighteen eighty and assumed its greatest proportions during the next ten years. The wholesale milliners whose business and pleasure it was to supply these ornaments for women's hats naturally turned for their supply, first to those species of birds most easily procured. Agents were soon going about the country, looking for men to kill birds for their feathers, and circulars and handbills offering attractive prices for feathers of various kinds were mailed broadcast. The first great onslaughts were made on the breeding colonies of seabirds along the Atlantic coast. On Long Island, there were some very large communities of terns, and these were quickly raided. The old birds were shot down, and the unattended young necessarily were left to starve. Along the coast of Massachusetts, the seabirds suffered a like fate. Maine, with its innumerable outlying rocky islands, was, as it is today, the chief nursery of the herring gulls and common terns of the North Atlantic. This fact was soon discovered, and thousands were slaughtered every summer, their wings cut off, and their bodies left to rot among the nests on the rookeries. War on the Sea Swallows During a period of seven years, more than 500,000 terns or sea swallow skins were collected in spring and summer in the sounds of North and South Carolina. These figures I compiled from the records and accounts given me by men who did the killing. Their method was to fit out small sailing vessels, on which they could live comfortably and cruise for several weeks. In fact, they were usually out during the entire three months of the nesting period. That was the time of year that offered best rewards for such work, for then the birds' feathers bore their brightest luster, and the birds being assembled on their nesting grounds, they could easily be shot in great numbers. After the birds were killed, the custom was to skin them, wash off the blood stains with benzine, and dry the feathers with plaster of Paris. Arsenic was used for curing and preserving the skins. Men in this business became very skillful and rapid in their work, some being able to prepare as many as one hundred skins in a day. Millinery agents from New York would sometimes take skinners with them, and going to a favorable locality would employ local gunners to shoot the birds, which they in turn would skin. In this way, one New York woman with some assistance, collected and brought back from Cobbs Island, Virginia, 10,000 skins of the least turn in a single season. In the swamps of Florida, word was carried that the great millinery trade of the north was bidding high for the feathers of those plume birds which gave life and beauty even to its wildest regions. It was not long before the cypress fastnesses were echoing to the roar of breech-loaders, and cries of agony and piles of torn feathers became common sights and sounds even in the remotest depths of the Everglades. What mattered it if the semi-tropical birds of exquisite plumage were swept from existence, if only the millinery trade might prosper? The milliners were not content to collect their prey only in obscure and little-known regions, for a chance was seen to commercialize the small birds of the forests and fields. Warblers, thrushes, wrens-in fact, all those small forms of dainty bird life which come about the home to cheer the hearts of men and women and gladden the eyes of little children-commanded a price if done to death and their pitiful remains shipped to New York. Taxidermists, who made a business of securing birds and preparing their skins, found abundant opportunity to ply their trade. Never had the business of taxidermy been so profitable as in those days. For example, in the spring of 1882, some of the feather agents established themselves at points on the New Jersey coast, and sent out word to residents of the region that they would buy the bodies of freshly killed birds of all kinds procurable. The various species of terns, which were then abundant on the Jersey coast, offered the best opportunity for profit, for not only were they found in vast numbers, but they were comparatively easy to shoot. Ten cents apiece was the price paid, and so lucrative a business did the shooting of these birds become that many baymen gave up their usual occupation of sailing pleasure parties and became gunners. These men often earned as much as one hundred dollars a week for their skill with the shotgun. It is not surprising that at the end of the season a local observer reported One cannot help noticing now the scarcity of terns on the New Jersey coast, and it is all owing to their merciless destruction. One might go further and give the sickening details of how the birds were swept from the mud flats about the mouth of the Mississippi and the innumerable shell lumps of the CHANDELURES and the Breton Island region, how the Great Lakes were bereft of their feathered life, and the swamps of the Kinkaki were invaded. How the White Pelicans, Western Grebbies, Caspian Terns, and California Gulls of the West were butchered, and their skinned bodies left in pyramids to fester in the sun. One might recount the stories of bluebirds and robins shot on the very lawns of peaceful, bird-loving citizens of our eastern states, in order that the feathers might be spirited away to feed the insatiable appetite of the wholesale milliner-dealers. Never have birds been worn in this country in such numbers as in those days. Ten or fifteen small songbird skins were often sewed on a single hat. What the Ladies Wore In 1886 Dr. Frank M. Chapman walked through the shopping district of New York City on his way home two afternoons in succession, and carefully observed the feather decorations on the hats of the women he chanced to meet. The result of his observation, as reported to Forest and Stream, shows that he found in common use, as millinery trimming, many highly esteemed birds, as the following list, which he wrote down at the time, will serve to show— robins, thrushes, bluebirds, tanagers, swallows, warblers, waxwings, bobolinks, larks, orioles, doves, and woodpeckers. In all, the feathers of at least forty species were discernible. In commenting on his trips of inspection, Dr. Chapman wrote, It is evident that in proportion to the number of hats seen, the list of birds given is very small, for in most cases mutilation rendered identification impossible. Thus, while one afternoon seven hundred hats were counted, and on them but twenty birds recognized, five hundred and forty-two were decorated with feathers of some kind. Of the one hundred and fifty-eight remaining, seventy-two were worn by young or middle-aged ladies, and eighty-six by ladies in mourning, or elderly ladies. This was a period when people seemed to go mad on the subject of wearing birds and feathers. They were used for feminine adornment in almost every conceivable fashion. Here are two quotations from New York Daily Papers of that time. Only the names of the ladies are changed. Miss Jones looked extremely well, in white, with a whole nest of sparkling, scintillating birds in her hair, which would have puzzled an ornithologist to classify, and, again, mrs robert smith had her gown of unrelieved black looped up with black birds and a winged creature so dusky that it could have been intended for nothing but a crow reposed among the curls and braids of her hair ah those were the halcyon days of the feather trade now and then a voice cried out at the slaughter or hands were raised at the sight of the horrible shambles but there were no laws to prevent the killing nor was there any strong public sentiment to demand its cessation while on the other hand more riches yet lay in store for the hunter and the merchant. There were no laws whatever to protect these birds, nor was there for a time any man of force to start a crusade against the evil. THE STORY OF THE egrets, The most shameless blot on the history of America's treatment of the wild birds is in connection with the white egrets. It is from the backs of these birds that the egrets come, so often seen on the hats of the fashionable years ago as a boy in florida i first had an opportunity to observe the methods employed by the feather hunters in collecting these aigrets which are the nuptial plumes of the bird and are to be found on birds only in the spring as a rare treat i was permitted to accept the invitation extended by a squirrel hunter to accompany him to the nesting haunts of a colony of these birds away we went in the gray dawn of a summer morning through the pine barrens of southern florida until the heavy swamps of horse-hammock were reached. I remember following with intense interest the description given by my companion of how these birds with magnificent snowy plumage would come flying in over the dark forest, high in air, and then vol-plain into the little pond, where, in the heavily massed bushes, their nests were thickly clustered. With vivid distinctness he imitated the cackling notes of the old birds as they settled on their nests, and the shrill cries of the little ones, as on unsteady legs they reached upward for their food. Keen, indeed, was the disappointment that awaited me. With great care we approached the spot, and with caution worked our way to the very edge of the pond. For many minutes we waited, but no life was visible about the buttonwood bushes which held the nest. No old birds like fragments of fleecy clouds came floating in over the dark canopy of cypress trees. My companion, wise in the ways of hunters, as well as the habits of birds, suspected something wrong, and presently found nearby the body of an egret lying on the ground, its back from which the skin bearing the fatal egrets had been torn, raw and bloody. A little farther along we came to the remains of a second, and then a third, and still farther on a fourth. As we approached we were warned of the proximity of each ghastly spectacle by the hideous buzzing of green flies swarming over the lifeless forms of the parent birds. At one place, beneath a small palmetto bush, we found the body of an egret which the hunters had overlooked. Falling to the ground, sorely wounded, it had escaped its enemies by crawling to this hiding-place. Its appearance showed the suffering which it had endured. The ground was bare, where in its death agonies it had beaten the earth with its wings. The feathers on its head and neck were raised, and the bill was buried among the blood-clotted feathers of its breast. On the higher ground, we discovered some straw and the embers of a campfire, giving evidence of the recent presence of the plume hunters. Examination of the nest over the pond revealed numerous young, many of which were now past suffering. Others, however, were still alive, and were faintly calling for food, which the dead parents could never bring. Later inquiry developed the fact that the plumes taken from the backs of these parent birds were shipped to one of the large millinery houses in New York where in due time they were placed on the market as aigrettes, and of course subsequently purchased and worn by fashionable women, as well as by young and old women of moderate incomes who sacrificed much for this millinery luxury. There were at that time to be found in Florida many hundreds of colonies of these beautiful birds, but their feathers commanded a large price and offered a most tempting inducement for local hunters to shoot them. Many of the men of the region were poor, and the rich harvest which awaited them was very inviting. At that time gunners received from seventy-five cents to one dollar and a quarter for the scalp of each bird, which ordinarily contained forty or more plume feathers. These birds were not confined to Florida, but in the breeding season were to be found in swampy regions of the Atlantic coast as far north as New Jersey, some being discovered carrying sticks for their nest on Long Island. Civilized nations today decry any method of warfare which results in the killing of women and children, but the story of the egret trade deals with the slaughter of innocents by the slow process of starvation, a method which history shows has never been followed by even the most savage race of men dealing with their most hated enemies. This war of extermination, which was carried forward unchecked for years, could mean but one thing, namely, the rapid disappearance of the egrets in the United States. As nesting birds, they have disappeared from New Jersey, Maryland, and Virginia, and also those states of the central Mississippi Valley, where they were at one time to be found in great numbers. Amateur Feather Hunters Quite aside from the professional millinery feather hunter, there should be mentioned the criminal slaughter of birds which has been indulged in by individuals who have killed them for the uses of their own lady friends. I know one brown pelican colony which was visited by a tourist who shot four hundred of the big, harmless, inoffensive creatures, in order to get a small strip of skin on either side of the body, he explained to his boatmen who did the skinning for him that he was curious to see if these strips of skin with their feathers would not make an interesting coat for his wife. The birds killed were all caring for their young in the nests at the time he and his hirelings shot them. There was a few years ago in a Georgia city an attorney who accepted the egret scalps of twenty-seven egrets from a client who was unable to pay cash for a small service rendered. He told me he had much pleasure in distributing these among his lady friends. Another man went about the neighborhood hunting male Baltimore Orioles, until he had shot twelve, as he wanted his sisters to have six each for their Sunday hats. The roseate spoonbill of the southern states was never extensively killed for the millinery trade, and yet today it is rapidly approaching extinction. The feathers begin to fade in a short time and for this reason have little commercial value, but the amateur northern tourist feather hunter has not known this or disregarded the fact and has been the cause of the depletion of the species in the United States. Almost everyone could cite instances similar to the above, for there are many people in the United States who are guilty of taking part in the destruction of birds for millinery purposes. In addition to the feathers of American birds already mentioned, the feathers of certain foreign species have been very much in demand. Paradise Plumes One of the most popular foreign feathers brought to this country is the paradise. There are at least nine species of paradise birds found in New Guinea and surrounding regions that furnish this product. The males are adorned with long, curved, delicate feathers, which are gorgeously colored. As in the case of all other wild birds, there is no way of getting the feathers except by killing the owners. Much of this is done by natives, who shoot them down with little arrows blown through long, hollow reeds. The high price paid for these feathers has been the occasion of the almost total extinction of some of the species, as indicated by the decreased number of feathers offered at the famous annual London Feather Sales. Travelers in the regions inhabited by the birds speak of the distressing effect of the continuous calls of the bereft females as they fly about in the forest during the mating season. As a high-priced adornment, the Paradise is the one rival of the famous Aigret. Marabou The marabou, which has been fashionable for a number of years past, comes principally from the marabou stork of Africa. These white, fluffy, down-like feathers grow on the lower underpart of the body of the marabou stork. These birds are found in the more open parts of the country. Their food consists of such small forms of life as may readily be found in the savannas and marshes. To some extent, they also feed like vultures on the remains of larger animals. Pheasants The long tail feathers of pheasants have been much in demand by the millinery trade during the past ten years. Although several species contribute to the supply, the majority are from the Chinese pheasant, or a similar hybrid descendant known as the English ring-necked pheasant. Many of these feathers have been collected in Europe, where the birds are extensively reared and shot on great game preserves. Vast numbers, however, have come from China. Oddly enough, in that country, the birds were originally little disturbed by the natives, who seemed not to care for the meat. Then came the demand for feathers, and the birds have since been killed for this purpose to an appalling extent. Numidai. This popular hat decoration suddenly appeared on our market in great numbers a few years ago. It is taken from the Manchurian-eared pheasant of northern China. Unless the demand for these feathers is overcome in some way, There will undoubtedly come a day in the not-distant future when the name of this bird must be added to the lengthening list of species that have been sacrificed to the greed of the short-sightedness of man. Gura. The fashionable and expensive hat decoration which passes under the trade name of Gura consists of the slender feathers, usually four or five inches long, with a greatly enlarged tip that grows out fan-like along a line down the center of the head and nape of certain large ground-pigeons that inhabit New Guinea and adjacent islands. Perhaps the best-known species is the crowned pigeon. There is a special trade name for the feathers of almost every kind of bird known in the millinery business. There is the coke for the black cock, cross egrets for the little plumes of the snowy egret, and eagle quills from the wings not only of eagles, but of bustards, pelicans, albatrosses, bush turkeys, and even turkey buzzards. The feathers of macaws in great numbers are used in the feather trade, as well as hundreds of thousands of hummingbirds and other bright-colored birds of the tropics. WOMEN'S LOVE FOR FEATHERS One of the most coveted and easily acquired feminine adornments has been feathers. At first these were probably taken almost wholly from birds killed for food, but later, when civilization became more complex and resourceful, millinery dealers searched the ends of the earth to supply the demands of discriminating women. The chief reason why it has been so difficult to induce educated and cultivated women of this age to give up the heartless practice of wearing feathers seems to be the fact that the desire and necessity for adornment developed through the centuries has become so strong as to be really an inherent part of their natures. It is doubtful if many people realize how strong and all-powerful this desire for conforming to fashion in the matter of dress sits enthroned in the hearts of tens of thousands of good women. There was a time when I thought that any woman with human instincts would give up the wearing of feathers at once upon being told of the barbaric cruelties involved in their acquisition. But I have learned to my amazement that such is not the case. Not long ago I received one of the shocks of my life. Somewhat over two years ago a young woman came to work in our office. I suppose she had never heard, except casually, of the great scourge of the millinery trade in feathers. Since that time, however, She has been in daily touch with all the important efforts made in this country and abroad to legislate the traffic out of existence, to guard from the plume hunters the colonies of egrets and other water-birds, and to educate public sentiment to a proper appreciation of the importance of bird protection. She has typewritten a 400-page book on birds and bird protection, has acknowledged the receipt of letters from the wardens telling of desperate rifle battles that they have had with poachers, and written letters to the widow of one of our agents shot to death while guarding a florida bird rookery in the heat of campaigns she has worked overtime and on holidays i have never known a woman who labored more conscientiously or was apparently more interested in the work frequently her eyes would open wide and she would express resentment when reports reached the office of the atrocities perpetrated on wild birds by the heartless agents of the feather trade recently she married and left us Last week she called at the office, looking very beautiful and radiant. After a few moments' conversation, she approached the subject, which evidently lay close to her heart. Indicating a cluster of paradise aigrettes kept in the office for exhibition purposes, she looked me straight in the face, and in the most frank and guileless manner asked me to sell them to her for her new hat. The rest of the day I was of little service to the world." What was the good of all the long years of unceasing effort to induce women to stop wearing bird feathers if this was a fair example of results? Of all the women I knew, there was no one who had been in a position to learn more of the facts regarding bird slaughter than this one, yet it seems that it never entered her mind to make a personal application of the lesson she had learned. The education and restraint of legislative enactments were all meant for other people. Ostrich feathers are desirable. How is this deep-seated desire and demand for feathers to be met? Domestic fowls will in part supply it, but for the finer ornaments we must turn to the ostrich, the only bird in the world which has become domesticated, exclusively for its feather product. These birds were formerly found wild in Arabia, southwestern Persia, and practically the whole of Africa. In diminishing numbers they are still to be met with in these regions, especially in the unsettled parts of Africa, north of the Orange River. From early times the plumes of these avian giants have been in demand for head decorations, and for centuries the people of Asia and Africa killed the birds for this purpose. They were captured chiefly by means of pitfalls, for a long-legged bird which in full flight can cover twenty-five feet at a stride is not easily overtaken, even with the Arabs' finest steeds. So far as there is any record, young ostriches were first captured and enclosed with a view of rearing them for profit in the year eighteen fifty seven. This occurred in South Africa. During the years which have since elapsed, the raising of ostriches and the exportation of their plumes has become one of the chief business enterprises of South Africa. Very naturally, people in other parts of the world wished to engage in a similar enterprise when they saw with what success the undertaking was crowned in the home country of the ostrich. A few hundred fine breeding birds and a considerable number of eggs were purchased by adventurous spirits and exported with the result that ostrich farms soon sprang up in widely separated localities over the earth. The lawmakers of Cape Colony looked askance at these competitors and soon prohibited ostrich exportation. Before these drastic measures were taken, however, a sufficient number of birds had been removed to other countries to assure the future growth of the industry in various regions of the world. It was in eighteen eighty two that these birds were first brought to the United States for breeding purposes. Today there are ostrich farms at Los Angeles, San Diego, and San Jose, California, Hot Springs, Arkansas, Jacksonville, Florida, Phoenix, Arizona, and elsewhere. There is money to be made in the ostrich business, for the wing and tail plumes of this bird are as popular today for human adornment as they were in the days of Sherkoff, the gorgeous lion of the mountain. Even low-grade feathers command a good price for use in the manufacture of boas, feather bands, "'trimming for doll's hats and other secondary purposes. "'When the time comes for plucking the feathers, "'the ostriches are driven one at a time "'into a V-shaped corral just large enough "'to admit the bird's body and the workman. "'Here a long slender hood is slipped over his head, "'and the wildest bird instantly becomes docile. "'Evidently he regards himself as effectively hidden "'and secure from all the terrors of earth. "'There is no pain whatever attached "'to the taking of ostrich feathers.' for they are merely clipped from the bird by means of scissors. A month or two later, when the stubs of the quills have become dry, they are readily picked from the wings without injury to the new feathers. The ostrich industry is good, and it is worthy of encouragement. No woman need fear that she is aiding in any way the destruction of birds by wearing ostrich plumes. There are many more of the birds in the world today than there were when their domestication first began and probably no wild African or Asiatic ostriches are now shot or trapped for their plumes. The products seen in our stores all comes from the strong, happy birds hatched and reared in captivity. Use of their feathers does not entail the sacrifice of life, nor does it cause the slightest suffering to the ostrich. Taking plumes from an ostrich being no more painful to the bird than shearing is to a sheep, and does not cause it half the alarm a sheep often exhibits at shearing time the call for feather finery rings so loudly in the hearts of women that it will probably never cease to be heard, and it is the ostrich, the big, ungainly, yet graceful ostrich, which must supply the demand for high-grade feathers of the future. End of chapter 8